HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words. This is Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Um, today, I'm holding just a very, very cool, cool cookbook, and it's written by a chef named Aliyah Lee Kong. It's called Exotic Table, Flavors, Inspiration, and Recipes from Around the World to Your Kitchen. Um, she's on the line, but just before I have her start talking, I thought I'd, if she doesn't mind, um, read a little bit from the introduction of the book. Um, so this, this comes about shortly after, uh, the author is briefly describing her mixed heritage, which is Indo-Pakistani and Tanzanian, and how that influences, uh, her culinary repertoire and, and also how it reflects her husband's, uh, mixed heritage, who is, uh, uh, where am I? (laughs) Trinidadian by way of Venezuela, Spain, and China. So the author writes, We are incredibly fortunate to live in a time when different ingredients and spices are readily accessible and when other cultures' foods have commingled and entered the American dialogue. What might have been coined exotic just 10 years ago might not be be so today. I cook, quite simply, the way I eat. My style is not about elevation or modernism. It's just my personal way of preserving my food traditions. I'm not a purist, and my travels, heritage, family, or even culinary training serve merely as inspiration. I do not declare that anything I cook is exactly per the traditional. Uh, I work with what I can find, have on hand, or simply prefer flavor-wise. I encourage you to follow the same idea as you read through my stories and try the recipes in this book. Very cool. We got Aliyah Lee Kong on the line. How are you? Good. How are you, Kathy? I'm good. Thanks. So congratulations on your first well, thank cookbook. You. Thank um, you so much. It's so exciting to me. I just, I, <laughs> I really love it. Um, you know, just, just flipping through like the first section, which is like the pantry staples or spice cabinet section and seeing uh, sambal olek and um, harissa and, and what else? Uh, 
you know, Ra's el in yeah. the same section. It's just like, wow. Who, who, <laughs> I don't know. It's a first. Definitely. It's a first. Thank so, you. Yeah. A brave I, mean, cookbook. I would say that if that's a good, just you even saying that, it's a good reflection of how varied um, culinary influences can really be and how fun it can be. Yeah, it is fun. And, you know, so so you grew up and cooking all these different flavors. And I love how you say in the introduction that sometimes, you know, you're different. Each parent, uh, you know, their culinary references would sort of just mingle into the same dish. And you weren't even sure anymore <laughs> which one came from which, like it's which ingredient. <laughs> no, it's it's totally true. I mean, I think for me, they spoke different. Like, you know, it, it's it's heritage can be so nuanced, mm-hmm. and even though my parents sort of look alike, they came from different parts of the world and had very different influences growing up, and their cultural practices, language, food, they were, they were different. And so, yeah, you're right. I never knew, you know, in each language which word, you know, belonged to which, and, <laughs> and food, too. It just it kind of mashed up. That is so um, funny. <laughs> and I think, you know, now that I'm married uh, to my husband, who is from Brooklyn, with you know, like I said, like you said, sorry, the Trinidadian, mm-hmm. Venezuelan, Spanish, Chinese influences, you know, my child will have no idea what's going on. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. In a very good way. Um, that's so cool. So, so okay, so can you spell out anything that would be the quintessential comfort food to you? Like that no, I think I dish? think comfort foods, it's usually childhood related. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it sort of brings you back. And, and for me... Um, that is, is very, is varied, you know, East mm-hmm. African curries, um, that are like coconut based were big in my family, but my mom also made these killer chocolate butterscotch cookies and mm. flan <laughs> and wow. or did a really great, you know, sort of, um, Indian inspired, um, tenderloin stir fry that she makes and she still makes when I go home. Just, that is so cool. You know, when it's, I think food tastes different in, in different hands. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like my mom's hands carry the most comfort. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, it's true when you said that, um, you know, your bo- both of your parents, um, one is Indo-Pakistani and one is Tanzanian, but each of these cuisines in themselves have so many different influences from other cuisines and cultures throughout history. Yeah. Like, so it's really just everything. Or yeah. Something. I don't know. I am still wrapping my head around it, but it's so cool. And um, did you have any awkward experiences uh, with your, you know, brown paper lunch bag going to school and bringing out this something that was not like everyone else's? (laughs) Oh, no one wanted to trade with me. I could not (laughs) get a trade for the life of me. I was jealous of like Lunchables and crustless sandwiches. I was not, we were not wasting crusts in our house. I, Mm. I was not able to get those. But, um, you know, it was really, you know, whatever we had for dinner the night before between two pieces of luscious Wonder Bread. So it was mm. like curry. Well, there you go. <laughs> or different, you know, different things that we'd have. And, and it would be between Wonder Bread and, and that was pretty much it. And, With uh, no crust? No one wanted it. But it was tasty. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, this this really speaks to me because I'm, I'm also sort of um, mixed, um, half Chinese and not not quite as mixed as you, but... <laughs> and, yeah, like, that question always kind of brings up awkward memories with, you know, what, everyone I've spoken to about it. Well, what did you have, what did you have in your lunch? You know, as you, as you mentioned it, white sandwich bread with uh, charo, 
Rofen, which is not Rofen. <laughs> what am I talking about? It's this like shredded, like roast pork thingy. That's very strange. Um, that sounds delicious. That sounds yeah. like big truck and right now, and people would love it. Oh yeah, right. What's <laughs> up with that? Like every truck is some crazy uh, hybrid of something. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, like, how do you, so obviously not everybody is, uh, you know, these different influences come naturally to them in the kitchen. Um, and you know, you say very generously in the introduction that we should, you know, just have fun with it and play around and not, not worry about being a purist. But, um, how would you encourage people to, to feel, um, well, I guess I just, said (laughs) not be afraid but you know there's there's you know i even feel a little bit of trepidation about being respectful to traditional cultures um when infusing some flavors from the cuisines that i'm you know not really sure about even the traditional versions of right well i mean i think at the at the end of the day if you're not saying you're you're creating a traditional dish mm-hmm. or, or trying to recreate a traditional dish you know like i said it's not about elevating some cuisine which i think i find that really condescending you know <laughs> it, it's not it's not about that it's 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 paying homage but through your way of cooking mm-hmm. and it's 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 really about seeking flavors out or seeking a specific ingredient out or or you know a technique um that you see is used in a different um cuisine and and using it the way that you want to use it you know it could be taking it could be as simple as taking a really great spice blend you know in my cookbook i have a a roast chicken dish and i use a middle eastern zata zata i saw that yeah which which is just a spice blend with with thyme and sesame seeds and and a this tart berry called sumac Mm -hmm. um, a powder made from that and i don't think i think using that on some roast chicken is delicious it's not really about respect or disrespect um you know, it's it's about taking that flavor and playing with it in, in a way that works for your lifestyle. For you know, if you have kids at home, something they're going to eat too, because you know yeah. you have to feed your family first and foremost. And I think you know, I, I, I really think that you can do that in a way um, that's again fun and 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 respectful. Right, and it <laughs> well, sounds delicious line, for sure. And now that you um, mention it, it uh, like that Zatar uh, spice blend doesn't sound too far from herb de Provence that you might spread exactly. on a roast chicken. Yeah, it is. Very it's, clever. And that was, actually, that's what I thought of when I when I did it. So it's funny that you say that. <laughs> awesome. Um, we speak some similar language, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so you know, as you're saying, like elevating, uh, do you see some chefs kind of using traditions and I mean, sorry, using techniques? Um, with the sort of abandon and 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 sort of trying to elevate them, is is there is that a certain trend that you see happening? You know, I don't I don't know so much that it's the chef's intention to do mm-hmm. that, but maybe when people talk about it afterwards, right. it right. becomes that. I see. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't necessarily know that someone starts out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you can run the risk if you're if you're taking another cuisine that you don't that's not necessarily your indigenous or your you know the cuisine that you know no, and yeah. then you try to sort of turn it on its head um i think it can come off that way yeah but i i think intent is really important right. if that's not what you're trying to do then then you know it and doesn't even matter right it's so easy to misread intent to, sometimes it's just exactly how can you exactly. even do that um like one of the one of the recipes that really stood out to me in your book was 
the Trinidadian Chinese wonton soup. (laughs) First of all, I love wonton soup and my mom makes it all the time. And the Trinidadian version, I I, like just glancing at the name, I wouldn't have like really understood it. But then when you describe it and then talk about how that's, there's a large, you know, Trinidadian Chinese population in Trinidad and this is their version. Sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, it's it's the complete it's explanation for my last name, Lee Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Chinese side of the of the Trinidadian family my husband comes from, and you know, he used to take me. He grew up in um, in Crown Heights, Bed Stuy, uh, on the border in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of Trini places there. And you know, you see it. You see Trini Indian food. You see Trini Chinese food. Um, you know, and this was a wonton soup that he had me eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I spiced it up a little bit more um, mm-hmm. than than what I had, but it definitely came from there. Um, that's a little spot that I used to go to, and it's delicious. And I and love the fried this. wontons are amazing too. Yeah, <laughs> I love the sound of it because it has a sort of traditional pork uh, minced pork filling, but it also has the Scotch bonnet chilies and a little lime and cilantro. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah, thank nice. you. And I I live in Crown Heights, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen this, so I need to find it. Um, okay, <laughs> what's up with yeah, that? It's on. It's on. Um, it's on Nostrid. Oh, huh. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if I speak Chinese. It's called Trini Roti House. It's pretty good. Sweet. (laughs) And there's another place called Trini Gull. So, So, um, you know, oh, another dish that I was just inspired by in itself, it could be in any cookbook um, for whatever purpose, was your kale salad. And you had a really great tip about massaging the leaves. So when they're raw, yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to, I mean, cooking all this food, I really do try to get my raw my raw and my roughage in and, mm-hmm. and juice and do different things. And I, I love kale, but it can be so, but I'm not a bitter person. I just mm-hmm. don't like bitter foods in general, and I, I find kale can be really bitter. So um, it's kind of a cool technique, you know, the lemon juice and salt kind of and olive oil break it down a little bit, um, just start to break down um the, the leaves and when you and it just becomes so much I, I think it just becomes great uh, and really palatable as a salad mm. um, after that and I never what th- I love about yeah. that re- sorry no I, I never thought that of that recipe, it sounds so, great yeah is I did a um, a pomegranate vinaigrette with it and mm. I used pomegranate molasses which I think is becoming a little bit more popular I mean you can find it at Whole Foods and that sort of thing but fruit molasses in the Middle East are used to sweeten things and um, they were they were used when sugar was really expensive and during peak season fruits were cooked down the most and the juice of fruits were cooked down to these syrups that they called molasses mm-hmm. there's pomegranate date grape and so in the book I have a recipe for how to make your own pomegranate molasses oh. using Ooh. palm juice <laughs> Basically, you just cook down palm, 100% palm juice, and uh, you get the same thing. So you nice. can make it at home. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I had a Louisa Shafia um, on the show, the New Persian Cook Kitchen cookbook, and uh, oh, she nice. talks about uh, pomegranate molasses, and I never heard of it before. And now I feel like I'm seeing it here and there, and or maybe it's just I'm noticing it. <laughs> yeah. Finally. That's. That's definitely one of those things when when it gets pointed out, and that always happens, and you start seeing it everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it sounds it sounds great for this salad in particular. Um, okay, so how how do you feel about the word fusion food? You know, I think um, <laughs> it's tough because. I don't necessarily, I, I know that there's fusion cuisines out there and people sort of own that when they when they cook it. Mm-hmm. But for me, 
when I travel, I see so many cuisines that come out of different peoples and different cultures. So, you know, when I was in Peru, Peruvian food to us may sound like one cuisine, but it's mm. really, you know, you're in the indigenous people that right. were there, the Spanish conquistadors with um, Moorish wives, the Chinese, the Japanese with their ceviches and tiraditos. And, um, and, and now that cuisine is this amalgamation of immigration and war and, and movement and um, I think that's really honest, and, right. I, and actually, that's how—that's what I see happening. I mean, America is so young compared to a lot of these other cultures, and we don't necessarily realize that. But that's what I see happening here. I mean, right. I see that we have so many different people, you know, in one place, and and people are trying to hold on to their heritage, but also sort of incorporate what's new around them. Mm. So, so for me, fusion—I mean, sure, fusion cuisine, I guess, exists in that sense, but um, it really just sort of depends on how. Um, if it's a concerted effort to put two cuisines together that right. don't necessarily normally go together versus what happens naturally in, in a place um, because of different people. Yeah. I'm always confused by that term. I mean, it makes sense on paper, but then, like, there's all these, like, I don't know, restaurants that are like, we're fusion. It's like, what? Is, what, is, what? So anyway, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so let's get back to uh, a lot more f- uh, talking about Exotic Table um, right after a quick little musical interlude. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, we're back chatting with Aliyah Lee Kong of Exotic Table, the cookbook. Um, so we were talking a little bit about the word fusion food and um, mixed feelings on that. Um, but how about, you know, why did you decide on exotic as, as the kind of moniker for this cookbook or your culinary yeah. repertoire? Well, you know, exotic for me, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah. You know, the reality is I'm hoping to make we're hoping to allow people a glimpse into some other cultures and see how accessible and how relatable um, those ingredients can be or those spices can be. And I try to take, you know, dishes that are Western at heart and then infuse them with these spices and ingredients or traditions. So, in other words, not so exotic. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And (laughs) and one example maybe of that is uh, your recipe for chicken and biscuits. And how did you come (laughs) up with that? It's... it's (laughs) Yeah. I love, I mean, you know, I even though I grew up in Florida, Florida is not necessarily considered the South, but it, it sort of still is. Mm-hmm. I love, like, biscuits and fried chicken and, you know, shepherd's corn pudding and all these things. <laughs> um, and so chicken and biscuits is something that I love to make in the winter. And I was just sort of um, 
inspired by a Provencal-style stew that I had had and, and really wanted to infuse it with herbs de Provence and um, a little banyols, which I love using and cooking with. And it, it just it came out really great. I was like, mm-hmm. that's going in the cookbook. <laughs> score cool. moments in the kitchen. <laughs> so, so this book is really like a lot of like creative uh, whims that you've had and then perfected. Yeah, sounds like absolutely, absolutely. Um, what do you think is like the most like popular dish that maybe you've you've cooked uh, for for people for in restaurants um, that was like a big hit that made you think I got to do more of these? Well, I think um, when I cook at home, it's usually I think my corn pudding is probably something that oh. really it really kind of do scores. tell. Well, I have ears really like of it. corn. I don't know what to do with. <laughs> well, this you can definitely. I use a little smoked mozzarella in there. It's like smoky and creamy and a little bit spicy for some from some chilies, and you, you kind of hit all parts of your tongue and still that sweet corn. It's perfect to do. I know it's it seems like more of a warm weather dish, but when corn's in season now, it's like it's perfect. It's wow! Perfect. So the smoked mozzarella barbecue. is like melted in with it and makes it creamy. Yeah, creamy. Oh my god! I never thought of that. It must be fun and like <laughs> kind of like. You know, like a pizza is all sticky and like pull. Yeah. Okay. It's good. Excellent. It's good <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this is your first cookbook. Um, what other projects do you have maybe up your sleeves? Well, um, not quite a project, but I just gave birth to a little girl a couple oh, weeks ago. Congratulations. So that, that was my. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's been, that was a project, actually. That was a project. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm, I'm, my cookbook coming out is sort of the thing that I'm focused on in November. I also filmed a pilot um, that filmed on, that aired on the Food Network called Chef Marks the Spot. We're still awesome. sort of in conversations about that, and, and I'm still at Janoon, um, mm-hmm. where I'm a culinary creative director and a chef there. So that's, that's been taking up a lot of my time. And can we find any of these uh, cook uh, recipes at Janoon in the, on the menu? Um, yeah, well... I didn't pull any of the ones from the menu into the cookbook, mm-hmm. um, but there are a bunch of recipes at Janoon that I've done. And and you were saying what popular ones. My Kerala shrimp curry is probably... Carol- um, Carolina? What would you say? Car- sorry, Kerala from Kerala from South India. The Kerala oh. shrimp curry that I have on the menu there is probably... Um, we do it with lobster and with shrimp. It's probably wow. one of my more popular dishes there. Wow. Oh, I love how you have these like kind of vignettes throughout the cookbook and... Um, you know, like little stories. And in one part, you talk about going to a friend's home in uh, New Orleans and just really bonding over making etouffee, jam- jambalaya, and all these Cajun recipes and Creole recipes and and finding that, um, yeah, food is just like really universal because these recipes really... Or tell me about that because you... Why did you include yeah. that? <laughs> well, I have, I have this really colorful friend of mine and he has been just... He is New Orleans you know, do or die. And he's, mm-hmm. he's been saying, you have to go, you have to go. And one day I was like, all right, let's just go. So um, I went down there and he set me up with his aunt and she just kind of schooled me in the kitchen on all these, these different dishes. And it was so fun. And, and, and just hearing how people grow up and, and their influences and how they take food that their family makes and, and make it their own. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of just like this universal, yeah. like this universal truth that just, it just keeps moving. And, I just really enjoyed it and, and learned so much about sort of Creole versus Cajun food and, and the origins of those and um, Leah Chase and, and what she's done there. And it's, it's, 
it's exciting. It was it was really exciting and really fun. Yeah, and and where it came up in the book, it also just made me think of how many parallels there are in every cuisine of of building flavors with with what's available and what's abundant, and how how much how much in common a lot of these exotic you know quote unquote cuisines really do have in their in their essence. So yeah, cool. I mean, there's really a whole, the you know, the American Museum of Natural History just had an exhibit, and it just it actually just closed on oh. food and people and migration, and, and it's amazing how, you know, cuisine cooked in in China, let's let's take, and, and how it moved um, it through to Turkey, you know, mm-hmm. and how what was available there, or, or if you look at Mexico and, and dishes that we think of as, as Mexican, you know, tomatoes weren't in dish, indigenous to Mexico, mm-hmm. neither were chilies, neither was beef, you know, how did Squash. that cuisine kind of change and, and move and, and, and how did it get there and how did it become what it is? Yeah. It is, it's, it's, it is crazy when you think about it. I was remarking with a friend about like avocado in this j- little Japanese restaurant. I'm like, how come nobody else in Asia is eating avocado so much? I don't, I don't know. I would like to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, what, what, do you, what would you say are some like upcoming trends in food in the restaurant world or in just popular food culture, um, like ingredients maybe or a dish or maybe certain cuisines? Do you have any... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think um, for a long time, sort of this idea of foraging and and what's local has has been resonating, and it's it's always been interesting to me because when I travel, it's like that's all you have. You know, mm-hmm. you have what's locally available, you have the seasons and what's in the market, and people just eat that way naturally. It's not something that's sort of forced upon them by a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's it's been interesting to see that that's sort of what's been going on. But I also think that there is a little bit of a, kind of a, I wouldn't say a backlash per se, but sort of a moving away from um, really technical cuisine and, and really um, theoretical food to kind of more casual. And you're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of chefs who are burnt out in, in these um you know, Michelin-starred kitchens and, and want to open up something that's small and theirs and um, represents food that they love to eat. And, and so I, I think you see that, um, you know, and it's, it's, I think that's really exciting. Even someone like a David Chang who kind of has taken things and, and, and done them in a way that, that blends his background and his travels and what he likes to eat. I think it's a really beautiful thing to see. Right. And it's more intimate. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause um, I- also about you know what you were saying about like the local food local f- like ingredients forage ingredients um you know there might be a stigma about exotic food needing to have this like extensive international pantry of of stuff that you need in order to whip things up uh what would you say to to help out the person who might feel like they don't have enough of these sauces or condiments or whatever well i mean i think a lot of that is is a lot of what I make in my book, at least, you can access at, you know, a local market or at a, you know, small ethnic grocer if you have one near you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's not, I'm not, I certainly didn't try to have people trekking all over the place or ordering mm-hmm. things on Amazon or wherever to, to get those ingredients. Um, and that's why I do recipes like that pomegranate molasses yeah. where you can kind of make it at home. I never knew um, that. But I, I think, you know, I would just tell people that 
to experiment and to try things out. And, and, and I tried to put a lot of substitutions in there. So, you know, if you can't find Mexican chocolate, you can just take some chocolate and some cinnamon and call it a day mm-hmm. and, and, and not worry yourself too much about that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's chocolate cake. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you, can, you can substitute things or, or use things that you can find at your local market, you know. Um, I, tried to, I tried to do that wherever possible, too. Cool. Um, and uh, so more about those trends, what are some upcoming trends that you would maybe like to see happen with food? Um, I, I hope to see people, I mean, selfishly for me, I, I'd love to see people really cook, you know, food with, that they ate growing up. And, and um, you know, I think culinary students now really sort of um, – span the gamut in terms of cultures, cultural backgrounds, and that sort of thing. So I think it's really exciting to see people take what they know and, and use technique that they learn and, and come up with something new. I think there's a lot of cuisines to be discovered mm-hmm. um, that way. Yeah. Instead of just learning, like, the classic French techniques and then just calling it a day or something. Yeah, I mean, you, you can learn classic French technique, but, you know, for I, I, I work at an Indian restaurant, if I tried to put a French technique on every <laughs> curry, curry that's out there, you know, it's not going to taste the same. It just mm-hmm. isn't. And and maybe that would be good in some ways, and, right. and maybe it wouldn't in others, but it's it's worth the experimentation to see, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't have to be always be like, you know, uh, French. Um, so what are some favorite recipes of the moment that are great to make in summer? I know you mentioned the corn pudding, which I'm definitely scoping out. And you have this grilled corn, which I see has um, a streak of green chili butter and toasted coconut. That's oh, a fun yeah, variation for the grill, you know, cookouts. Yeah. That's kind of like my, my Mexican corn. East yeah. Africa, so. Love it. <laughs> really. Um, but uh, I also love, I, I did from another vegetable, a summer squash with um, hazelnuts and brown butter and fresh tomatoes that you roast, a really simple dish. And I love um, salt-baking fish, which you can do, you know, either in the oven or you can do that on the grill, too, which is such a simple, simple technique that has, like, incredible, incredible results. You just, you know, it's salt and egg whites, um, and you pack it over a fish and bake it, and and when you crack that open after the fish is done, it's, like, tender, spoonable fish. Delicious. It's really great. So you could just kind of, like, make a sandcastle over this whole fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That sounds super and fun. It it's so good, and it's not too salty in the end. It's not actually. It yeah. just gives it the right amount of salt, and I okay. add sauce. And I like to do like a pesto, or a, I use um, charmoula with it. And um, remind me you know, what charmoula is that? Those little it's, grains. It's um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a pesto. It oh. has uh, different herbs in it. It really just depends on um, you know where you're coming from and what herbs but, are going on. Yeah. A lot of cilantro and parsley, you know, there's garlic. It's, it's a North African fish marinade, and, mm. I, and I use it kind of like a pesto at the end. A little turmeric, cumin, ginger, mm. lemon. It's, it's, again, these are all stuff you can get at your local grocery store. Mm. So, you know, um, but it's, and you just make it in the blender in like 30 seconds. It's a great, great kind of North African pesto, <laughs> if you will. Summery and fresh. Well, I can't wait yeah. to try that one. And most of the recipes in this book. Um, it looks like that's about all the time we have. But thank you well, so thank much you. for joining. And yeah, thank you, um, Kathy. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. And I'm so excited for the book. And I hope everyone gets their hands on it. 
and uh, they can check it out at Exotic Table, or is it aliyalikong.com? What's yeah. your website? Aliyalikong.com, and it's on um, Amazon right now, Exotic Table, as well as BarnesandNobles.com. Excellent. Well, have a great week. Thank you. You too. And thanks, everyone here at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.